The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibility. Responsible gaming resources. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Pawns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. All right, this is Matt Menick's Bengals Shock Talk. Today, my guest, former NFL player, uh, current writer, for uh, Fourth and Nine, podcaster for Press Coverage Podcast, and forever a DB guru, uh, Eric Crocker. Eric, how are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. I mean, you're doing a lot better than Bengals fans are. All <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> Bengals fans are sitting here, uh, you know, like like refreshing their their browsers, refreshing their uh, you know their, their, their screen, just hoping the Bengals make a move. And uh, your your 49ers, man, trading DeForest Buckner for the 13th overall selection. So not good enough that you went to the Super Bowl last year. Now you're picking 13th overall. How does that make you feel? Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's uh, it was very surprising, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I'd say it, it's surprising, but when you look at it from a standpoint of team building, it makes a lot of sense. Um I think ideally you don't want to give up a defensive lineman that's as talented as the Forrest Buckner. I think the dilemma that they got into was we have Armstead, we have Buckner, who are kind of the same type of player. And Buckner, I think, maybe a little bit more high end of a pass rusher. I believe that Armstead overall, when you add his, his pass uh, rushing ability and his run stopping ability, I think it makes him – Actually, a little better overall, but, you know, obviously the pass rushing part is what kind of gives Buckner the edge. And even so, I mean, you know, Armstead had 10 sacks last year, so he can get after the quarterback too. Uh, but just the way that the, the, the 49ers defensive line is constructed, which, I mean, both is the best player on that D-line, um, mm. and then you still have D-Ford, and now you have Armstead who is – he was last year a three-down uh, defensive lineman. He's going to continue that but just have more of a role probably inside. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, you'd be able to get him for cheaper than Buckner, who looks like Buckner signing a $21 million a year contract with the Colts. So I, I think overall when you look at it, and, you know, next year 49ers having to sign George Kittle and, yeah, Fred Warner and, you know, all these other guys are kind of going to, you know, demand money from the defensive side of the ball. To be able to flip Buckner for a 13th overall pick, um, and still have somebody like Armstead who you really like to feel the role of Buckner. I think it was a, it was a good move. And Lynch and Shanahan, man, they, they've been really aggressive 
um, during their time here to make moves that they felt like would improve the 49ers roster. And today they, they, they did that again, which now you, it frees you up at pick 13 to do whatever and do whatever you want at pick 31. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really so conflicting for a lot of 49ers fans, but I, I liked it. I like it from um, if you, when you take your emotions out of it and just what it did for the team and who they have replacing them, I, I'm fine with it. Yeah, and, and you know, I think uh, looking at the move, um, last year they were trying really hard to, to move Solomon Thomas. Um, th- I mean, does this speak well of, of his future? Do you, do you think he's safe for, for another year, at least until that rookie contract is up in, in San Francisco? Um, I, I don't think it means much for him. I, I'm, I doubt they're picking up his fifth-year option if they already haven't picked it up. Um, mm-hmm. I think it helps in the sense of you, you do have a, a solid uh, 4-3 base end, and you can just have D4 um, kind of just do what he does and specialize in more of a pass rushing uh, situation. But, yeah, Solomon Thomas, I, I think, uh, yeah, he kind of is what he is. He, he's, a, he's a solid 4-3 end in the sense of being able to stop the run and set the edge. But outside of that, they're not getting much out of him, and and I and I hope, yeah, I don't think they're banking on him to be more than what he he has been. If you get more out of him, great, that'd be that'd be amazing. But I don't think anybody's really expecting that. Yeah, I just wonder, based on some of what he was able to do at Stanford, if uh, if he might be uh, an interior guy in, in pass rush situations, just with with what the situation is there now, unless of course they you know they they go after it in the draft. Uh, you know, Benjamin Solak from the Draft Network has already put out an updated mock draft uh, <laughs> on, uh, on Twitter uh, with uh, them taking Javon Kinlaw at that 13th selection. Uh, where do you think they uh, they might go with that pick? Or, or is it a trade scenario, or what do you think? I, I think they pick there. I think if they are going to trade one of the picks, it's probably 31, because I know a lot of teams look to get back into the first round and have that fifth-year option. So when you have that mm-hmm. 31st pick, they're right there at the tail of the first round. So if there's somebody at the top of the second and they feel like they want to be able to get a player and have a fifth-year option on, I think that's the trade. Yeah. That's where the trade will happen. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you've been hearing a lot about uh, Jalen Hurts going up boards, and you, know, you kind of wonder, especially for a quarterback, to have that fifth year would be huge. So right. if there's somebody like a Hurts or, or maybe if Jordan Love is still there or something like that, uh, that that could be prime prime spot for like the Chargers or the Panthers or somebody to move up from from pretty early in the second and uh, get back in there get another year on a quarterback. Uh, I'm sorry, but you but you were saying what, what do you think they're uh, taking the 13? So at 13, if it were up to me, looking at the 49ers roster right now, there are a ton of weaknesses. Right, you you touched on it about 49ers being a Super Bowl, being in the Super Bowl just a couple months ago, and now you know being in position to be able to draft at 13. Where I would upgrade the team, um, I don't know why I'm going out. Where I where I would go uh, upgrade the team, there are a ton of good offensive linemen. I feel like that could really help improve the 49ers offensively. Uh, whether it's at tackle and they haven't played guard until Staley retires, or if they're like, you know what, we need some uh, a guy right now to fill this one position. I think the one position that really needs to be filled right now and needs an immediate impact player is receiver. So if I'm the 49ers, yeah, absolutely. you know, you just lost Emmanuel Sanders. So who do you have now? You have Debo Samuel. You have the others. 
<laughs> you know, it's like Debo mm-hmm. Samuel, mm-hmm. and then you know, obviously George Kittle. But you know, as far as the receivers go, you have Kendrick Bourne, who's a solid wide receiver four. Um, you have a bunch of other guys that have really been banged up. You need that other dynamic guy. So if I'm picking, if I'm at 13 and it's up to me, and I haven't had a lot of time to think about this, but just off the top of my head, it was like, what would I do? It would probably be Judy, Ceedee Lamb, or Ruggs. And I, I would be perfectly fine with whoever's there at 13. That's where I would lean right now before I look too far into it. But I could see maybe an offensive lineman, uh, one of these really good tackles, and have him playing right guard until uh, Joe Staley retires. So I, I could see both uh, what play, both uh, scenarios playing out. Yeah, it's funny because that was my instinct immediately. I, I think I, I tweeted like five minutes after it came out, you know, uh, Jimmy G's getting his, his wide receiver one. Uh, that right. team definitely changed when they when they acquired Emmanuel Sanders, uh, but now having an opportunity, 13th a prime spot. You know, one of those guys has got to make it to 13. I think there's probably a good chance that, that at least two of them are there at 13. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a that's a great opportunity. Uh, we know what you're saying about trading too. It, they don't have very much draft capital, um, so before today they had the 31st selection. And then they didn't pick again uh, for 108 picks uh, until Denver's Denver's round five pick at 139. So uh, definitely makes sense to trade one of those picks back. Maybe maybe you can get a couple picks in between there, a two and a four or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, if you're able you know, to get it, a two and a three, I think that would be ideal, right? If I can move from oh, 31 yeah. and get maybe like a mid round two, I mean, yeah, mid round two and maybe a mid round three. I think that would probably be a, a little more ideal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, you know, Denver's in like that mid mid uh, round two, and I think they have a couple of pick uh, picks in the third round too. So again, somebody who could be targeting a quarterback. I think when you're looking for, especially the end of that that first round, you know, the the, the quarterback I think is the is the hot spot, and that's where you're, you're going to most likely get people to. Uh, to possibly overpay because obviously it's it's worth the risk a little bit. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do with that. What you're saying about the offensive line, that, that makes sense to me too because that is very much the way that team seems to be built. You know, it seems to kind of work philosophically with, with what they've done to, to build up front. So you definitely see it going either way there. Uh, but you know what? You and I are both uh, are both DBs guys, uh, and that was a, a happy little uh coincidence that that happened to happen today, but uh, let's talk a, a little bit about the 2020 draft class from uh, the the cornerback uh, perspective. Uh, you actually put out uh, last week a, uh, a top 10 list, and, uh, you know, you mentioned you're still watching some film on some guys, so uh, I have a top 10 list myself that hasn't actually been put out there because I'm, I'm still working on it too, and uh, I'm hoping for some uh, – updated 40 times, but it doesn't look like we're going to get it with, with uh, travel restrictions and everything. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, still, still kind of doing some fine-tuning. But a lot of similarities, uh, but, you know, there, there were a few key changes. So I'd like to uh, kind of go through that, and we'll start at the top. Uh, we've got the same number one and number two. Uh, I have uh, Akuda uh, number one, and Henderson, number two. And you have Henderson, number one, and Akuda number two. So uh, obviously this is a Bengals podcast. A lot of Ohio sports fans, uh, you know, listening right now. Uh, what 
you know, they're, what they're all wondering is, why do you hate Jeff Akuta? <laughs> right? And that's what I get, right? I get a lot of, when you're crazy, like, Jeff Akuta, he's the best. And it's like, I, just because I have him at number two does not mean I don't, I don't like him. Um, I have questions. Well, and, and I don't know, I don't know, uh, his questions really couldn't get answered, I guess, what I'm, what I'm trying to say. So, so okay, because I'm starting off wrong. Here we go. So, <laughs> Jeff Okuda, C.J. Henderson. What I looked at the most was, uh, what I factor into, first and foremost, their movement skills. Um, I think they both have tremendous movement skills. So, from there, they both are really near the top tier of, you know, how I look at cornerbacks. Uh, two is consistency. I actually think as far as consistency with technique and coverage ability, I feel like Okuda was cleaner in that aspect. And I think that's why so many people are high on him because he just was the same guy every rep no matter what for the most part. Now, one thing that he, he can't – Okuda really can't do anything about is who he's played. Now, I, I look at – cornerbacks, you know, the first thing I do when I when I go and I, I want to see, like, how somebody plays, I go to their toughest matchup, right? So with C.J. Henderson, I can go straight to L, um, the LSU game, and I know, man, LSU had several receivers who you would think were drafted, you know, go in the, in the first round um, whenever they come out. Where when you go to Jeff Okuda in his film, who did he play that was, like, a top-tier prospect that threatens him? Right, so I came away with a couple guys who I felt like maybe threatened him a little bit. Um, Johnson, Tyler Johnson from Tyler Johnson from uh, uh, Minnesota. He's a slot guy. All right, so he's kind of out. Um, uh, Hamler, the receiver from Penn State. Right, he's another guy from the Big Ten that is, is, will be drafted. Again, he's another slot guy. So who do you play on the outside? The, the, the one outside guy who really probably, I mean, I guess was the best guy um, maybe in that conference was the Seafrist guy from uh, Nebraska or Wisconsin? Yep. Um, Wisconsin. Well, he ran a four seven three, So he's not threatening him. He's not like a, a dangerous athlete, right? So I'm like, well, who's he going? I see the terrific numbers. I see all that. I think he's a tremendous prospect, but I need to see him up against, like, the big dog. So then he finally gets a chance, right, playing against Clemson. And you know Clemson, they they, they got they got uh, T Higgins, and this is the pro- this is pretty much the highest draft prospect that could have went against. Well, when you see the pro day numbers, it's like okay Higgins, you know he ran a four five eight four five nine hand time, so that's even slower laser time, right? So it's like well Higgins isn't really threatening him now when they played against each other first play the, or second play of the game, Higgins caught a little bend route where he kind of went out a little bit and then came across, flattened his route off, caught the ball in Kuda and broke his tackle. That was like the second play of the game. And then shortly after that, uh, Clemson had a free play and they threw the ball up. Well, Higgins had a step on uh, on Akuda. He jumped up. He made the catch. Now, he did land out of bounds, barely, right? But I'm just looking at it from an ability standpoint. This guy jumped over you to make the catch, right? And this is the first guy I felt, you know, as, as a prospect kind of challenged Akuda. And then after that, mm-hmm. you know, we know that Higgins, uh, his helmet came off, and I think he was, like, concussed. He didn't play again until, like, the third quarter. Uh, clearly wasn't wasn't the same for the rest of the game. So so that's one aspect of it where it's, like, who who has he really played? And the first guy I did see him play 
had some early success until he went out with an injury. All right. Um, and then the other part of it that makes it a little hard is their scheme, where Ohio State, they do play a lot of single high and they will play some press man, but there's a ton of press bail, there's a ton of off zone, there's a ton of press bail zone, right, where it's fine. Like, he was really good in that scheme, really good, right, as good as he could be. But when I watch C.J. Henderson and I see how much man press, I, I really get an idea, not just the man press, but who he's playing man press against. He followed, he shadowed Chase, who is probably the, one of the best receivers in the SEC, right? He followed him. He, he guarded him outside. He guarded him in the slot. And he had success all over the field while guarding him. Now, he did have a little hiccups, gave up a catch here. That was a short touchdown. Um, there was a wheel route where he got picked. Um, and that touchdown, but I kind of don't put that on the corner. That was a good execution by the offense. But I thought overall he had an excellent game against Chase and that level of talent and a guy that killed everybody else in the SEC. Well, Akuda didn't really get a chance to go up against those guys. And I almost put um, my number three guy, uh, which is uh, uh, Fulton, Christian Fulton, I almost put him over Akuda just because of how impressive he was against uh uh, Alabama and guarding Jerry Judy and guarding Henry Ruggs. And, again, I, I didn't get to see Akuda go up against guys like that that really threaten him, right? Like who's going to make you panic? Who has the speed or the elite quickness or the elite ability that's going to make maybe I need to see how you're going to react with your technique? I didn't get to see those things from Akuda, right? So then Akuda goes and he tests, and he doesn't test poorly. He ran a 4.48 and a 4.50. That's good. I know he can run a little bit, but – when it comes to when you get to the NFL and now you play against better receivers that you know than what you faced in the Big Ten and guys that are going to be quicker and more explosive and better in and out of routes and now they're going to threaten you more, I, I just haven't seen that part from Akuda. And from that standpoint, I had him at number two, which isn't a big knock, right? I mean, I'm saying all these things, and even then, I still had him at my CB2 where I really like him, especially his tackling ability. But C.J. Henderson – I was able to see him. There was a play against Chase where he didn't even get set, and Chase took off, and Henderson didn't panic um, and went, and he broke up the ball, and he's able to do those type of things, I feel like, because he runs a 4-3-9. So when guys do get a step on him or the route, the rep isn't necessarily perfect, even even uh, up against elite talent, he's still able to make plays. So that was, you know, to, uh, to go along with, you know, they're both – Six one, two hundred and five pounds. They have, they have nice uh, fr- uh, frames, uh, you know. But the elite athleticism, who I saw Henderson go up against, and you know, really on a week week in week out uh, basis in the SEC, I had to give him the nod a little bit. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Yeah, you make some good points there, and, and I think those are games that stuck out for me from uh, from Henderson and, and from uh, Fulton as well. As you mentioned, Alabama, we'll, we'll get to uh, to Fulton in a minute here. But, um, yeah, I mean, th- that make up, up speed, I mean, uh, there was one play, uh, was, should have been a touchdown pass to Jamar Chase uh, in the end zone, and, and, you know, 
Henderson was behind, you know, and he, and he picked it up uh, and he got there and he made, he made a play on the ball. Uh, so you definitely see him with that makeup speed being, uh, being a huge difference for him. Akuda, I'm, I'm with you. When I watch the NFL Combine, what I, I'm, I'm probably weird because I, I, I like weird things. Number one, one of the big things that, that, that you know, uh, one of the ways that you caught my, my eye on social media is, uh, going to 49ers camp and, and filming one-on-ones because I absolutely love watching one-on-ones. But uh, uh, the other thing is, in, in the NFL Combine, I it's not that I don't care about the times, but I want to watch the drill work. I want to see how these guys are moving in different directions. Uh, and, man, you're you're absolutely right about Akuda. He is so fluid. He is so smooth. Um, and the only other guy that I really thought was as fluid as him uh, at the Combine uh, was a guy that we both have at the other end of our top ten list, Darnay Holmes, uh, but Akuda's doing it at 6'1", and, and Holmes is doing it at 5'9". So that's obviously a big difference. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a bit easier for the small guys to be to, uh, to be smooth, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, uh, but now you, now, now you make some great points there. And, and I think really, and, and I'd love to know your opinion on this, I feel like defensive back, uh, and wide receiver, who you, who you also uh, you know evaluate quite a bit, I feel like those are two positions where it's really hard to to gauge where they're going to go. You know, if you want to be predictive in the draft in terms of uh, in terms of the order they're going to go in, because I think different different coaches, different schemes are are looking for different types of guys. Uh, I mean, do, do you feel that way? Like, are, are you surprised a lot by the draft order, uh, more so at cornerback at, at, uh, than other positions? Yeah, well, a lot of these, like, evaluators and some of these guys that pick these players, you know, they write guys off of their board for really strange reasons, right? Like, it could be his hand size. It could be his arm length. Um, that You know, it could be something very small that doesn't meet, like, their threshold and how high they draft guys. So a guy like, let's say, Akuda, right, who most guys, most people have as CB1, maybe this team doesn't like, you know, maybe they have a speed threshold for who they would take in the top ten and if he doesn't meet that speed threshold because he ran a four four eight and a four five zero, and they feel like somebody that we're taking in the top ten should run more, you know, below four four five, then there's a chance that they pass on him, you know. And those mm-hmm. are things that we don't we don't know, you know. So we we can't really you know predict those things. Uh, we just look at him as a prospect, and it's like, man, you know, Kuda, he's a really clean prospect. I think a lot of people have him going as high as number three to the Detroit Lions. Uh, so you know, those are the things right there where. A guy can slip, and we don't understand why, but then they just have these weird things that they go off of. I know arm length is a yeah. big one, I think, for, like, the Seahawks, where it, like, has to be, like, 33-inch mm. um, arm length. And I just kind of – I think it's ridiculous. I think if you can cover, you can cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting because you, you, you see some of the some of the defensive backs, like, look really long, but then you get in there and they're, and they're not, and I know – Drake Kirkpatrick was the guy for the Bengals. So when you when you watch him, uh, he looks like he's a long guy, but he didn't have the arm length, uh, so he didn't really fit into the Seattle mold. And, um, and he he's never really been the you know what you wanted out of a round one corner in the NFL. But he's he's been uh, you know a, a, at least a solid starter uh, at corner the whole time he's been here. So uh, now when we talk about funny reasons and things that some people care about, some people don't. Um, there's one major difference, uh, you know, between you and I on, on what our top ten lists are, um, and that is Jeff Gladney. Um, and you have uh, Gladney 
at eighth on your list, uh, and I have him at three. Uh, now, one of the things that, that could be looked at w- with, with Gladney uh, is that, that he is uh, 5'10". Uh, so, you know, he's definitely a guy who, um, you know, who's, who's not, uh, not the ideal size, not, not what you're looking for, especially with, uh, as big as some of these receivers are nowadays. Um, is, is height something that, that, uh, you take into account with that? Or, or, you know, what do you, um, like, like we talked about, all these, all these guys are really good, but, you know, uh, is, is there something that you're seeing, uh, in, in Gladney's game that, that I'm missing that made you, uh, put him a little bit lower? Well, the the biggest thing for me is that you you mentioned his height, and me, I typically don't care about the height if if you you play big. And I thought him playing big, it was a little inconsistent for me. So you know, I touched on how clean of a prospect Akuda was, right, and how Mm -hmm. how consistent his work was, um, especially at the line of scrimmage. Well, I think Gladney, especially for somebody that's smaller, that has to kind of depend on that and lean on that ability. I thought he was very – well, he was consistent at the line of scrimmage, but in the wrong way for me. Now, it is something that I think that is correctable, but he feathers out way too much, creates a space for guys. And if you're going mm-hmm. to do that and you're, de- and you're already not the longest guy, you know, at 5'10", maybe not the longest arms and, uh, you know, he's not a big-body guy, you have to be on point at the line of scrimmage, right? Because they're going to compare him to guys like, um, you know, the other TCU guy, Jason Verrett, you know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. He was a 5'10" cornerback, you know, like that, but really feisty, really good at the line of scrimmage. And that's something that Gladney's going to have to hang his hat on. Um, he he can't allow himself to get big-bodied by receivers. I watched him against uh, Baylor, and I saw one play where he made a great play on the sideline, breaking the ball up against Mims. And then later in, in that half, he gives up a touchdown where he just falls down while guarding Mims, where he kind of like nudges on, he falls and catches and runs into the end zone. Can't have those things happen when you're smaller. So I don't mind, like, having a smaller guy. I had Denzel Ward. He was clearly my number one. And Jair Alexander, he was my CB2 when they were coming out. But, you know, those are both 5'10 guys. 5'10, I think uh, 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 Ward ended up barely being a 5'11. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, if you're going to be smaller, I'm fine with that. Play big. And also have some speed. And he does have speed, but it's not, like, ideal speed for that height, right? You ran a 4'48 at the combine. That is fast, but to have you at 5'10 and you be, you know, in that top tier, I need you to run a little bit better because you do lack height and size. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I, I think I, you see some fight out of him uh, both in the Baylor game and uh, against Colin Johnson uh, at, with, with Texas as well. But, but yeah, at the same time, I mean, he, he's at a disadvantage. So it's really – there, there's no um, there's no room for error there, you know. Like we talked about with with Henderson, you know, he can he can get beat sometimes. He's got the speed to make up for it. Uh, you know, when you're when you're a little smaller or you're or a little slower or anything like that, you know, you've got to be perfect in everything uh, you're, you're doing because uh, you, know, you let you let it slip for for one second, you get you know you get pushed off or you, whatever it is, like you're going to be in a bad spot there. So uh, another guy. Uh, who we both have uh, at 10th on our list uh, is actually shorter than Gladney uh, is Darnay Holmes from, from UCLA. And he's a guy like I was talking about before. Um, you see the movement skills. I think Dion was actually pointed out too, uh, watching, um, you know, watching the combine on, on TV, uh, just how smooth, 
how fluid he, uh, his movement skills are. Um, what uh, what do you think of, of, of Holmes uh, overall? Um, I think a lot of times some of these smaller guys are, are labeled as slot receivers uh, or excuse me, slot corners when they don't necessarily actually have like a full skill set for that. They People just are afraid to put short guys on the edge. Uh, do you think that's how he fit, fits best, or, or you know, what, what's your overall take on on Holmes? Yeah, I definitely just watching him and how he played on the outside. I, I think his skill set for not being again kind of like Gladney, uh, where he is a good athlete, but maybe he doesn't always play as big. I mean, I watched him against Washington State, and I was like, man, they just destroyed this kid. But I was able to see just kind of how he played, how he moved, his feet his ability then watch him at the combine and see the fluid movements as well. I was like, man, he'd be tremendous in that nickel spot where he, maybe he doesn't have to guard bigger guys, uh, more, you know, more vertical routes. So you don't have to worry about that part of it, but, you know, to kind of, uh, shadow or mirror, uh, guys that are a little quicker in and out of breaks in that slot, maybe some smaller guys. I think he'd be tremendous there. And he is a feisty guy. So I think that, you know, that'll really help him. But, yeah, I, I thought his value is more at, 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 at the nickel position for somebody of his, his caliber. And I, I like him, but his, his nickel ability, uh, as far as how I project him, that's kind of really mm-hmm. what bumped him into my top ten because there were other guys like Cam Dansler that I probably would rather have at ten, but I think his I think he can be a better nickel than Dansler can be an outside corner, so that's why I kind of moved him up. Okay. Yeah, and uh... – what did you think overall of his effort on tape? I, I honestly, uh, watching tape, and I kind of, I, I try and shut out all the noise. Um, obviously, you watch college football, you hear about guys. Um, he was a guy I didn't really know about until I sat down and started evaluating prospects. Uh, and when I watched him without reading anything that anybody else was saying about him, um, one of my notes w- was was complimenting his effort. I, I thought he was a pretty high effort player. Uh, but he has been criticized by by a lot of other uh, evaluators for his effort, uh, and, and you know particularly this year that he had a drop off, and, and people think it's effort related. Uh, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it was fine there. I think sometimes, especially like you know with draft Twitter, sometimes they take one thing one person said or one clip, and then they put, make it to where like that's who that player is, right? So even for like C.J. Henderson, the big knock on him is. He doesn't want to tackle, right? Well, he had a poor game against Miami, and his tackling, you know, effort in that game was a little poor. But that was kind of like the only game I really saw that in. Now, he wasn't – he was never a tackler like Jeff Okuda, but I thought he was a really good tackler in most other games. I thought he really was willing to stick his head in there. But he can't shake that tag of not being willing to tackle because of that one game from playing in Miami. And that might be mm-hmm. something with Darnay Holmes where maybe there's one I, I can game see the clip right now. It's out there so much. <laughs> right. You know, one game or one play where he maybe whiffed or maybe it was a bad effort, and then they take that and run with it and make it seem like that's who this guy is all the time. And more times than not, it's really not true. Yeah, now we talked a little bit about uh, about the slot. Uh one guy who has been talked about a lot as, as a slot corner, uh, but not, not just because of his height, uh, is Bryce Hall. Uh, you've got him listed as your fourth uh, corner. I have him as my sixth. So 
pretty pretty close in there. Uh, how how does he fit in uh, to that mold? Is is, is uh, the slot corner position where you, where you see him, and uh, you know how would he, how would he project in the NFL? Uh, I mean, Bryce Hall, he's one of my favorite draft prospects coming out. Um, I love his overall game. If if it weren't for you know question marks about his speed, not saying that people have questions about it, but us just not knowing, right? You know, he coming off of a, an injury, he didn't run the forty, um, and then you know now we don't. You know, with the whole coronavirus thing, I don't even know if they have a pro, a pro day. But mm-hmm. just off of his film, he's one of the better all-around corners I've seen, probably right behind. As far as, like, a pure all-around guy, I think he's right behind Okuda there, where okay. he can play off man, he can play press man, uh, he makes plays on the ball, he tracks the ball in well, has a size, um, he – we, you know, we talked about effort, right, and maybe what people say Darnay Holmes lacks. This guy doesn't lack effort at all. No matter where the ball is, he's trying to run to it. Um, whether there's a run play, he's trying to defeat the block and get in on action. Um, I was so pleased with what I saw on him from him last year on film, and I thought he would have been the number one corner coming out that year, which he elected to stay in college another year. And then this year, uh, you know, he didn't play the whole season. He played he played a decent amount of games and then went out with, a, I believe it was an ankle injury where he was down for the rest of the year. But his skill set, man, I don't know if it's just some, maybe what those coaches are doing at Virginia. You know, they had a good prospect last year with uh, Juan Thornhill. I think he's uh, – Bryce Hall, man, he's he's the real deal in my opinion. Just don't know how fast he is, how fast he'll run. But outside of that, man, like his, his ability and how I think it translates to the NFL – I think I think he's going to be all right. I think he's an outside guy. I I don't know about him playing nickel. I, I wouldn't even, you know, he his his value for me is more as an outside guy. Yeah, and and like I said, I try and avoid uh, the noise. I try and avoid other people's opinions. I listen to other people's opinions, and I love love talking to guys like you and and you know reading what other people are saying. Uh, but I never want to be influenced before I look at film. You know, I always want to, like, take other people's thoughts and then go back and look at the film after I have kind of my own opinion and be open-minded about it. But uh, Hall was a guy that uh, people have talked about him as a slot. And when I turned on his, his film, I was like, he's not playing slot. Why do people think he's a slot? Um, and, and I don't know if it's his speed or, or if it's, you know, the, the physical nature with which he plays. Uh, but, you know, to me, that was the, the positive of it. Uh, was, was that looking at how he plays? Um, they they were doing like a lot uh, a decent amount of like uh, cover two with with corner force, which you don't see a lot of at that level anymore. Uh, so they're, they're playing some corner force. He was coming up and and you know making plays in the run game. Uh, in, you know in particular when they were when they were bunched, but even sometimes when they weren't. Um, right. Also, he's a guy that they they'll they'll send on blitzes. So he does a lot of things that you see slot guys do. Um, I think that I don't know. I think there's kind of two types of slot guys. You know, I think you have you have the slot the slot corner who's basically a really fast will linebacker, uh, and then I think you have the slot corner who's more like we were we were talking about uh, with uh, with with Darnay that you know he's a smaller, quicker guy that's going to be a good matchup for those smaller, quicker receivers. Um, so. I, I mean, I, I I do see the the way he plays uh, that physical is I, I think he's his floor to me is a is a very good you know run defending slot uh, 
if, even if the speed isn't there to play on the outside, it, you know, to me, he's definitely got that. Um, but, but I'm with you. And, and I, I think on film, I think he, I think he looks plenty fast. Uh, you know, I, I love the way he, uh, he covers spade balls, leans in the shoulder, takes away the sideline. Does some really good, uh, things technique wise for that stuff too. So, um, yeah, overall, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought he was a, he was a real good player. Um, I, now we I talk, think he's somebody yeah, that can slide too. I, I think he's somebody that he could slide, and if somebody grabs him in like the third round, they're getting a really good cornerback. That's just my opinion. But. Yeah, and and he is a guy that you know uh, you kind of hear about a little bit less than you were right after the season. You've got the injury. Uh, we're gonna have to see because you know so. It doesn't look like they're having pro days. Uh, you know, like NFL teams aren't traveling. Um, NFL teams aren't bringing in prospects. So what does that mean for medical evaluations? Um, so without your doctors looking at a guy, you know, does a guy like that slip? You know, I think he, he absolutely could. So you know, you're, you're right with that. That could be a, a great pickup for somebody. Um, and that's going to be an interesting thing as it plays out in this draft. You know, they, they announced that uh, they aren't moving the draft uh, time-wise. You know, they're they're uh, not going to have it open, uh, not going to have the public activities, but uh, it's going to be the same date. So there's going to be, I think, I think the medical stuff it's it's what's a little bit lost in this that they're not going to have that same opportunity to get these medical rechecks in some of these guys. Right, and and just and. It really hurts like a lot of these small small school guys who don't get a chance to show off their athletic ability and meet with um, you know a lot of these pro scouts and mm. uh, front office guys because you know a lot of small school guys you know even if it's you know Division One AA or whatever or even some of the smaller D ones you know a lot of them are at the combine so yeah. their their first time really meeting some of these coaches or uh, front office people and being able to show off their athleticism would be at their pro day and they're not going to get that opportunity so. I think uh, I think we'll see the least amount of smaller school guys that we've probably ever seen um, due to this. Ooh, yeah, and that's that's a shame too. So, uh, you know, it just goes to show you though that like uh, undrafted free agents are probably going to end up being really big in this because they're going to probably get a shot to, to to come in, but yeah, maybe not going where they should. Maybe not getting that you know that that respect and that ability to get drafted. Um, now, we talked a little bit before about uh, having, you know, having a top matchup, uh, and we talked uh, when we talked about Henderson uh, against LSU in particular. Uh, we've also talked about Henderson with having a bad moment that uh, that lingers uh, and that people get caught up on, and I think that both are the case with AJ Terrell. Uh, who had a bad day, uh, you know, d- didn't have a Henderson day against LSU. He had a bad day against LSU. Um, and, you know, he, he got a reputation, uh, you know, that he, oh, he's that guy that got burned against LSU, where, you know, in, in, the, in the shame of it is it's a national championship. He's, he has no chance uh, to make it up. You know, that is that is what people are going to think of him until he puts on pads in the NFL. So Terrell is a guy, uh, you have him sixth, I have him seventh. Um, how, how concerned are you about that one game? You know, what, and what are things that stand out about AJ Terrell where you think he'll be successful in the NFL? Yeah, that's the, when people see my list, that's the first thing they mention. Uh, you know, well, 
outside of C.J. Henderson being over Akuda, the next thing that they mention is A.J. Terrell. <clears throat> and the first thing they go to is the LSU game. Oh, he's not good. He got cooked in the LSU game. And they're like, well, first of all, who do you get cooked by, right? We're talking about yeah. Jamar Chase, who will probably be, you know, the first uh, receiver off the board in next year's draft, right? So it's, it's a tremendous talent that we're talking about him going up against. And maybe he's not the same caliber of uh, prospect as Chase is, but he is a good prospect, and he had a lot of success against other receivers. Um, I thought – I. Even when he got beat against LSU, I liked what they were doing with him. You know, he played outside. I thought he was a very fluid mover. Um, at the combine, he shows he had plenty of speed. Um, he was able to play inside, and I add a lot of value to that, to guys that can not only play outside but can play inside because, you know, if they do become the prospect that you think, you know, if you draft him and you think, hey, I think he can be this level of a cornerback, you want somebody that has the ability to shadow guys and be able to play inside and play outside, mm-hmm. you know. Because um, there are guys like Keenan Allen who, who you know, he'll line up more in the slot, and you're going to want your best corner to be able to follow him in there. Uh, so Terrell, he showed that type of ability, loved his movement skills. Um, he just had a bad game, man, and, and that's the first thing everybody goes to. They will go <laughs> to the championship the previous year where he had a pick six against Alabama, you know, that really changed the way that whole game was going. Uh, they don't mention that. They just mention the LSU game. So, you know, it's tough. It's tough for him. Um, he won't be able to shake that until he gets to the league. Yeah, I remember uh, I was I was coaching. Uh, it was like my first year coaching DBs, and I was coaching at a D3 school, and we, we played against the team who had this quarterback uh, who was unbelievable. Uh, it was, he was a one-double-A transfer, and he ended up, uh, he ended up playing in Canada for he might still be he might still be playing in Canada, but guy had a huge arm and he was ridiculous. And I, I remember uh, you know had a great game plan, worked really hard on it. You know had, had my guys ready to go, uh, and and you know they put up uh, he put up like 350 yards and like four or five touchdowns and stuff like that. <laughs> I remember. I remember going, you know, it, 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 we, I mean, we played we played pretty tough. We, we lost the game, but I remember I remember going in, and I was sitting in my office and I was like, you know, like I was just, you know, just mad, just angry. And uh, one of the other coaches walks in and he's like, he's like, hey, he's doing it to everybody. Don't worry about it. He's like, don't beat yourself up over it. You know? And that's kind of how I feel about Terrell in that game. Like, hey. That LSU offense was doing it to everybody. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, I mean, and you got the first overall pick throwing, throwing uh, you know, throwing uh, passes to, to, like you said, a guy's going to be a, a high draft pick next year. So you kind of got to look past that a little bit. Another, another guy that's going to be, you know, possibly a first-round pick this year with, uh, with Justin Jefferson, you know. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you have weapons all over, um, you know, and they were, they were getting guys, man. And Chase was that guy, man. And he did it to, he did it to Diggs. Uh, you know, he, he got Henderson once. Um, you know, he's a tremendous prospect, man. And I think sometimes people have to understand, you know, the thing I hear even when I bring that up is, well, he's going to be facing a lot of guys like Chase. And it's like, not really, because if Chase is the prospect <laughs> you think he is, he's going to be a top 15 pick. And yeah. how many guys, how many receivers in the NFL right now were thought of as top 15 prospects coming out? And that's what you, that's how you project him into the NFL, right? Um, to where you think, hey, if I take him at 15, he's probably going to be 
you know, you're drafting him to be the best receiver on your team. And if you're drafting somebody at 15 to be the best, that means he's a, you know, one of the top 32 receivers in the league. So, no, this isn't just any type of receiver, you know, that you can find all over the NFL. That's how I look at it, at least from, you know, from a perspective, uh, from a prospect uh, perspective uh, coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned Diggs. Uh, you've got Diggs seventh on your list. I've got him eighth on mine. Um, so with, uh, with Diggs, uh, coming out of, uh, coming out of Alabama, you know, smooth guy, ball skills, good reads. Um, you know, he's, you know, he's being coached really well. Those, those Alabama guys are always really well coached. Uh, what, uh, what's your take on, uh, Diggs? I like Diggs. Um, you know, he reminded me a lot of like Xavier Rhodes, where it, it, it doesn't really look flashy, but he just kind of gets the job done. Now, I don't know if he has the movement skills from what I saw on film to be a guy who I feel like he can guard any type of receiver. Um, I think, you know, if he has to guard guys that are a little smaller, quicker, shiftier, he might have trouble with those guys. But I thought for the most part what I saw from him at Alabama is probably – what his ceiling kind of is to where he's a guy who is a solid press man guy on the outside, but that's kind of the extent of it. Okay. Uh, yeah. And you now he is a, uh, I believe a pretty, pretty long guy. He looks like a long guy, but uh, as we said, that stuff can be a little bit deceiving, but, um, and it's weird cause but he's yeah. the same size as like CJ Henderson and, and, uh, and Jeff Okuda. But he looks like way bigger. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And, and actually, I, I I wrote in my initial notes, Seattle kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, so yeah, so there there you go. But uh, but yeah, yeah, he, I'm I'm with you on that. He's a guy that I think he's a little bit lower for me over some of these other guys because I yeah I don't know what his ceiling is, um, and I don't know how much more you're gonna get out of him than than, than what they got uh, in college. Um, now. A difference. Uh, the other, the other difference that you and I have uh, is that number nine. Uh, we've we both got guys who aren't who didn't make the the other top ten. Uh, I've got Troy Pride Jr. from from Notre Dame. Um, I did not like his film. Uh, he, he's a guy I had heard about. I watched him on film. I was like, all right, he's not that great. Uh, but man, at the Senior Bowl, he was good. Uh, and, and I went, you know, I went back and, and, you know, I recorded uh, all the, all of the shows on, uh, on TV from that. And, um, you know, the way he was mirroring, the way he was reading and undercutting routes in, in, in one-on-ones, it did not show up in games at Notre Dame at the same level, but you saw the, the raw clay, you know, uh, in, in that practice. So that's what kind of elevated him to me is, is I see that potential. I think there's some good coaching he could be a, a very strong uh, man defender in the NFL. Uh, you had Jalen Johnson from Utah. Uh, didn't quite make it into into uh, my top ten. Uh, I think he was. I think he was a few slots out of uh, uh, fourteen for me. Uh, you know, real smooth runner. Uh, he has some good ball skills. You know, what what did you see in uh, in Jalen Johnson that that made him a top ten guy for you? Uh. Really, as of right now, I mean, that was my initial, like, top ten that I came out with. If I had to do sure. it over again right now, he probably <laughs> wouldn't make it. I really like uh, uh, Parnell Mo- Mo- Motley from, Motley from okay. uh, Oklahoma. But, All right, uh, let's talk about him. 
Yeah, we'll just talk about him. But okay, but with Jalen Johnson, I think he's fine. I just when I watched him, there was just nothing that jumped out to me. Where it's like, and that's the first thing I try to look at. Like, what can this guy hang his hat on? Right, like mm. he, he can be this guy, and he's going to excel in this type of scheme, or how versatile is he? And there was just nothing that really jumped out to me about Johnson. Uh, but when we talk about Mowgli, man, um, I was watching him against Baylor. Actually, I was watching Baylor, and I'm like, man, who is this number eleven? Like, and he mm-hmm. played. He really made it look easy. He was guarding Mims, and Mims was lined up on the left side of Baylor's offense, and yeah, Mowgli lined up on the right side of Oklahoma's defense, right? So they're over each other. And, I mean, he was sticky, 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 every single play, everything. And I'm like, and then he gave it one catch on a slant, but it was like it had to be low, away. His arm was in there. Like, I don't even know how Mims caught the ball. Like, he had that type of coverage. And then you see that they kind of respected him a little bit because they moved Mims to the other side. As they moved Mims to the other side, Mims had two touchdown catches. Right away, boom, boom, touchdown catches. Mm. So then they say, you know what? We're not going to let you get us. We're going to move Motley over to your, to the other side now. So now wherever you go, Motley's going to go. And he played very well um, until the very end. He gave up a couple catches against Mims where he was, it was like off coverage and they were playing kind of soft, almost like a prevent defense. But outside mm-hmm. of that, man, I mean, it was one of the most impressive displays of, like from a technique standpoint, and just an ability standpoint to guard a guy outside and inside that I've seen from any prospect um, throughout this uh, whole process. It was a really good display of just man coverage. And, you know, he's not a guy that tested extremely well. He ran like a 4.50 and a 4.53. Uh, he wasn't invited to the pro day, I mean the combine. So I think he, he might be somebody that's there like later, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round. But I really like his ability. Like if I'm the Niners, um, I don't go all out and draft a cornerback high. I'd get him and see where I'm at, you know, the following year. So um, I like him that much to where I think he's a really good prospect, has some ups and downs, big folks, not known for having, you know, really good defensive back. But I think he's somebody that's definitely an intriguing prospect and definitely worthy of being in the, in the, in the top ten discussion. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good deep dig there too, you know. And I think that the, the Big 12 – uh, defenses kind of get get ragged on and, and and made fun of a little bit, but you know, the fact is, when you're getting passed on like that, like you're seeing it, you know, it, it, it's the reps, you know, you're, you're getting the reps, you're getting it over and over again. Uh, so, yeah, good uh, good call on that one. Um, now we we've uh, a little bit earlier you mentioned uh, Christian Fulton uh, and you know in particular. Like you were saying, that the Alabama game was a great one for him. Uh, he's a guy, you know, strikes me as a as a very good press corner. You know, I think I think that's his his best attribute. Uh, what he what he really does best. Uh, you know, last year, um, the uh, uh, LSU uh, also had had a highly ranked corner um, in in the draft class, and uh, he was expected to go uh, pretty high as Fulton is this year. Uh, and he ended up uh, falling into the, the second round. And uh, uh, as I'm talking, the name is completely escaping me, so help me out if you can. But uh, he ended up going to the Browns. Yeah, Greedy, Greedy, thank you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so Greedy ended up falling to the Browns. Uh, I mean, do you think that uh, Fulton, you know, do you think that Greedy got pigeonholed as a press guy? Do you think that could happen to Fulton? Do you, you think there's a chance that, that he falls? 
Um, he was uh, number three for you and number four for me. So we both have him, uh, you know, as, as really top, really a, a round one guy. Um, you know, do, do, you, do you think there's a chance that, that he falls there? Uh, yeah, he he's somebody I, I really like him. Like I said, that once he showed me that type of ability, what he showed me, his ability against Alabama, I feel like, you know, with good coaching, I can get that from him all the time. So if you're not threatened, which how he was playing uh, press against uh, Henry Ruggs, he played mm-hmm. like, I'm not threatened by your speed. And Henry, obviously, we saw that guy run a, or, yeah, Ruggs, yeah, he, he ran a 4-2-7. So it's a guy that's blazing. And Fulton's not the fastest guy, right? He ran a 4-4-7, which, again, is good, but it's not 4-2-7. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but to play with that type of aggressiveness at the line of scrimmage and really be reading a, a guy down, his technique never went out the window, that said a lot to me. Now, I, like you, I have questions. Like, man, can, can you play off? Can you play, uh, you know, some zone and, and really, you know, be able to jump passes and do some of the things that we see guys like, you know, Jeff Akuda do? And even C.J. Henderson, I think he's pigeonholed as a uh, press man guy, but I thought he played tremendous from off coverage. Um, can we get that from Christian Fulton? That's a big question mark. Uh, they did some rock and roll stuff at LSU where they'd have Fulton. He looked like he's a single high safety, and once the guy motions back to the other side, he comes down and guard him. So I saw him do some of that, but just, you know, I didn't get to see him run as much zone as some of the other guys. So you do worry about that. You know, is, is he a guy that, you know, we have to have, uh, press that line scrimmage, and that, is that, is that's what your scheme is. Which, when, when I was with the New York Jets, uh, we had the ability to press from pretty much any coverage. Um, if he has that type of freedom, then you know that that would probably help him. But uh, yeah, just from an ability standpoint, man, when you do what he did against Alabama and get in Judy's face and Rugg's face, and you're not threatened at all, and they don't speed up your what I call your time clock. Um, that says a lot about what type of corner he is. And, yeah, so I had him really high. Yeah, there was one play in that game. I think it was against uh, – I think it was I think it was Ruggs. Uh, and it was, a, it was a slant route. He's playing press. And, I mean, the, the toughest thing with with, with the backs, and, and you play the position, so tell me if I'm wrong, but it, it's just giving up that, that leverage, giving up that inside leverage. And he lost inside leverage. He gave up the slant, uh, you know, but he was able to come back to it. Uh, he was able to put his own hand, you know, uh, on the on the receiver to, to secure the tackle, got his other hand in front, made a play in the ball, even though the guy, uh, you know, the receiver had a step on him uh, and, and was in a great position there. Uh, so, I mean, that really that, – that was a play that really stuck out to him because, you know, to me, you talk about seeing guys and, and things that stand out. Um, you know, like you like you said about Motley, like you know when you're not even watching the guy and, and you see him doing things, like th- that's a good indicator that, that that he's that guy. You know, uh, and and I think when you watch a guy get out of position, and it doesn't matter, that's that guy. You know, it's like, right. okay, if we can clean that up, if you can keep that leverage, now we're really going to have something. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he does some some really good uh, some really good things and. Uh, and really, if you're going to be good at something, press man is a great thing to be good at. You can be taught you know, mm-hmm. zone eyes. As long as you work hard and you buy into it, you know, learning how to play zone and where your eyes should be 
that's something you can improve on. Uh, this is a much smaller scale, but you know, I played in the Arena League in 2012. I had three mm-hmm. interceptions, and it was kind of hard for me to kind of catch on to the game. Well, once I caught on to it, um, the following year that I ended up playing, because I went to the Jets, and then from the Jets I went back to the Arena League, I had 11 interceptions. And a lot of it was because I understood where my eyes should be and how I should be playing these different zones. Well, that, 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 that stays true. That holds true even in the NFL. If you could just learn where your eyes should be and what keys you're reading, as long as you have, as long as you have the ability, you should be able to uh, um, make plays. And I think he has the ability. It's just at LSU they don't run a ton of zone, so that's something that he's gonna, you know, he's gonna have to see. Yeah, and and having the, you know, the mentality and like the mental toughness to to get up in a guy's face, especially those those great receivers that've got a Bama to get up in their face to play and press. Uh, and to really put yourself at risk, you know, because people are more, people tend to be more comfortable in loose zone because you're not getting beat in a half a second. Uh, but, but press, you know, one step and it's over. So, uh, you know, great seeing that he has that mentality. And like I said, if you're going to be good at something, be good at that. And, and like you were saying, you can, you can build on that and build on the air stuff. So right. there's one guy that we haven't talked about, uh, in both of our top tens, uh, falls right in the middle, number five for us, but, we started off talking about Ohio State, so uh, I figured we should we should circle around and come back to Ohio State and, and Damon Arnett. Uh, I don't know why this guy is not getting more talk. Um, I was I was I was happy to see that that you had him listed as high as he did because I don't feel like a lot of people do. Um, you know, I, I definitely see him as you know the Bengals are picking thirty third. I see him as a guy that is is worthy of a of a pick at that level the, at the top of the of the second round. Uh, but I f- feel like he's getting projected more like in the third round. Uh, real smooth hit guy, um, you know, plays a little bit in the slot, you know, good good ball skills, real physical, um, not necessarily a great tackler, but, but you know, definitely, uh, you know, physical at the line of scrimmage. Uh, some technique things that I don't love that he could, that he could probably clean up, but uh, what, what are your thoughts uh, on that? Yeah, I, I like him almost as much as I like Jeff Okuda, so – I think the biggest knock on him and what's going to make him slide a little bit is he ran a four five seven. So anytime you run a four five seven, you know people's antennas kind of go up and it's a little alarming. But if you just look at his film, it doesn't look like his four five seven speed or whatever he is is an issue. Um, I thought he challenged receivers at the catch points over and over and over, um, always making plays on the ball. Uh, you talked about him being able to slide inside. I saw him make plays on the ball from from the slot. Cardinal slot phase. Um, I, I really like him. Uh, I think this, like, cornerback class is deeper than, like, uh, especially like last year. Uh, so he is somebody that probably in last year's draft would have went much higher. But in this year, he's going to slide a little bit. And in that four five seven, that's not going to help him. But kind of like Bryce Hall, he is somebody that could, you could see go in the, you know, late second or third round or whatever. And if he goes there, whoever gets him, they should be getting a really good cornerback. I, I like his game a lot. Yeah, I think both those guys are are definitely you know early early uh, second round talents. And uh, we, as you mentioned, Hall there too. I feel like both those guys are, are really criminally underrated, and uh, somebody's going to get a get a get a steal on those guys. Uh, absolutely. So, um, all right. So appreciate uh, you joining me. No, uh, it's a it's a Exciting day for you with uh, uh, with the Niners actually making some moves. Ho- hopefully, I'll log on to Twitter after I uh, after we 
<laughs> I'm just calling. Maybe the Bengals have done something by now, but uh, probably not. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the way it goes. So you at least. Uh, uh, AJ Green. I know we talked about that a little bit. That's before, true. And I was that's like, true. Well, why would they do this? I didn't quite understand it, but um, you know, I guess you know if you're going to draft a quarterback number one overall. It would be nice to have somebody like AJ Green to kind of help with that learning curve and everything, and have a bailout guy, you know, to go yeah, along and, with Boyd and and uh, number eleven. Uh, from and you know what? You're an offensive head coach, and you take the Bengals job, and then you get AJ Green for one practice. Like he gets hurt in your first practice. That's brutal. <laughs> Zach, Zach, you know, that's probably what Zach Taylor was looking forward to most taking that job, and uh, and there he goes. But. Um, right. Yeah, be, it, 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 yeah, definitely uh, good getting AJ back. Um, you know, the, the, they have said that they're going to be more active in free agency, and and Zach Taylor has come out and said that, that he's on the same page and that they're going to go get what they need. Um, now, I do think no action is better than uh, you know resetting the tight end market for Austin Hooper. Uh, <laughs> right. So you know, I think we could be in worse position there, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. And, and technically, free agency hasn't even opened up yet. So you know, hopefully, they come in and get a linebacker, or a guard, or something like that, and uh, a couple of the the guys that uh, are targets for for the Bengals. Some of them have uh, some of the guys that have been talked about are are, are uh, moving on, going elsewhere. It looks like, but uh, but there are definitely some options out, out there too. You know, some of the some of my top interest uh, top interests are still around. So. We'll give it a little time to simmer. Uh, not gonna, you know, when you're a Bengals fan, you, you can't you can't get too negative in March. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, like you gotta you gotta give yourself a little distance to fall. So, uh, but uh, we'll see, we'll see. So, uh, but yeah, uh, great day, busy day for you guys, and it'll be a, a, a fun, uh, uh, you know, few weeks talking about what they're gonna do with that pick, what they're gonna do with both their first round picks now too. So. Right. Yep. Uh, once again, uh, Eric Crocker is my guest. You can find him on Twitter. Is it, uh, what's your handle? At Eric underscore Crocker. Okay. Uh, I thought it was like Croc Time or something like that. So maybe that's just what oh, it says so yeah, on there. No, yeah, you, I mean, I'm pretty sure if you type in Croc Time, it will pop up. But, uh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, my actual handle is at Eric underscore Crocker. And, oh, okay, all right. So, yep. At Eric underscore Crocker. Great, great DB stuff. Uh, also, the sporting air stuff too. If uh, it'd be a, kind of a kind of a weird combination to be a Bengals fan and a Forty ers fan, uh, but <laughs> but hey, you know, teach their own. Uh, yeah. So you can you can check them out there. Uh, again, thanks for joining me, and we'll have you back. We're going to uh, keep doing uh, as many interviews as I can, uh, trying to put out a couple a week. Uh, I know a lot of people have more time on their hands than they're used to, so. We'll try and uh, try and give you some good Bengals content uh, to take in in the meantime. So right. we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you right back here next week. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smart Water Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.